This is Yudah Kohen, Britchazon Vision Magazine, and this is The Next Stage. With me in Jerusalem is political analyst Mordechai Taub. Hey, good to be with you again, Yudah. So we're going to talk about elections. We have elections for the second time in one year approaching, a couple weeks now. Uh, what lessons do you think our parties have learned from the previous election that uh, they're going into this election trying to correct? And most of them have not learned any lessons. Most of them, at this point, two and a half weeks before the election, look like they're about to make all of the same mistakes that they made last time. Give me an example. Prime Minister Netanyahu, instead of focusing, of bringing back votes from what is referred to in Israel as a soft right that went over to Gans, uh, about one or two mandates, which should be his total focus, and not worry about what he loses within his coalition, is focusing instead of holy, uh, on not losing votes within his coalition. You mean he's essentially competing with Yamina instead of competing with... Right. Biden. Instead of saying, let me work and get those one or two mandates and let me lead the country, irrespective of the damage that might do, on my right flank, if, I'm, if he's going to lose one seat or three seats or four seats, he's, 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 he's worried about Yamina again. What troubles me here is, first of all, I'm used to seeing Bibi Netanyahu as a very experienced political operative. The man seems to know what he's doing in this game. He knows how to play this game. If he's creating a situation where instead of taking a couple seats from blue and white to Likud while losing a couple seats from Likud to Yamina in order to be able to form a nationalist coalition when the smoke clears, he's competing with Yamina for votes, which kind of makes me feel like his intention is to form a government with Benny Gantz, with the blue and white party, once the election is over. Could, could likely be. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems near impossible that what is called the national camp or the what is called the left wing camp will be able to have 61 seats which means that at this moment well that can change mm-hmm. the possibility of a Netanyahu Gantz government is very high right and that seems to be what Donald Trump wants and by the way when i refer to Gantz i don't mean what is the Gantz blue and white today mm-hmm. Um, the Gans Blue and White is made up of three parties. It could very well be that Boogie Yalong's party or um, Yair Lapid's Yeh Shatid will not go with Gans. And therefore, instead of having perhaps 30 seats, he might have 15. Mm-hmm. But it, it could be sufficient to put together a government. Mm-hmm. What you have who went over to Gans last time... Mm-hmm. You had people who call themselves nationalistic, yeah. who most likely voted for Likud in most of past elections, mm-hmm. who had Bibi fatigue, okay. and therefore were saying, that's enough, Gans is a legitimate candidate, I'm going over to Gans, I've had enough. So, so if they the were not, is Lieberman wasn't part of their story. The Lieberman vote is a different vote. Mm-hmm. The Lieberman vote is a coalition. It's not a homogeneous it's not just Russian. Influence. No, no, that's perhaps half or a little less than half. There are people who truly want a unity government. Mm-hmm. There are people who truly are nationalistic. They don't want the radical left. They don't want religious. Mm-hmm. They simply want a unity government. Then they see Lieberman as the best expression of that. 
There are also those who are nationalistic. They want a Jewish state, but they want an ease up on, on Jewish laws. You know, they want to be able to go to synagogue in the morning and then go to the mall um, in the afternoon on, on the Sabbath. And therefore, Lieberman represents that for them. They have a concern that the country is moving in too much of a traditionalist direction. Or, or they're moving, or they don't want it to move in that direction. And, 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 and Lieberman is certainly fear-mongering that it will. Um, I would say, uh, I wouldn't use those words. Fear-mongering? I, right. I, I I mean, did you see his attack over Shabbat uh, on Facebook against uh, Rafi Peretz and Vesela Smotrich? I didn't. I'm not, I, I, I can't see... Comparing him to Shabtai Tzvi. I didn't see that. Mm-hmm. I'm unable to um, comment on that. I know... Uh, I mean, he knows what he's doing also. He's attacking Rav Peretz and Smotrich, not Ayala Chiket, who's the head of the party. Right. I mean, right. He ignores her. In all his attacks on that, on Yamina, he goes right for I, I Rav think Peretz and Smotrich. He's re- representing a legitimate sector. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, even though he's in the game for decades, he is already, per- I believe, like Netanyahu... It's become somewhat personal. Mm-hmm. He's been personal. He's personally offended by some of the criticism he received from the Haredi parties, um, as if his move to want to open a have an open shopping center in Ashdod means that he's anti-religious. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's offended by that. I think the issue here, maybe part of my problem, is that we're having these conversations within the context of a paradigm I don't like. You know, like I think this paradigm of being religious or secular or being right or left is a very Western paradigm that's somewhat foreign to us. I think that uh, there are Jews who are more connected not only to the traditions and rituals and worldview of our people, but also like the aspirations of our people. And obviously they contextualize, you know, the historical meaning of us coming back to this land after 2,000 years of homelessness in a way that's very different from those who are just looking to have you know, an outpost of Western civilization or a state that feels Jewish and Western and modern all at the same time. Uh, I think that, you know, part of this process, part of this project that we're engaged in is figuring out what Hebrew civilization looks like in the 21st century. You know, not just in terms of will there be a shopping mall open in Ashdod on Shabbat, but, uh, you know, how do you have minority rights in a Jewish state? How do you have... uh, a healthcare system, a banking system, can should the Shemitah year have socioeconomic implications or should it be just about vegetables and fruits? I think these are the questions we need to be asking and I think those questions... But this is an ongoing process and, and we could likely be having the same discussion in 20 years from now. Mm-hmm. This is an evolving process mm-hmm. as society evolves and the prediction as to how we can predict how society will evolve. We can't predict how society will evolve perfectly, but we can see the writing on the wall. We can see right. that, that, for example, the fastest growing demographic between the river and the sea is Haredi. Right. And we, you know, you, the Haredim did fairly well in the last elections. Do you expect them to do as well this election? Um, to say they did fairly well, I don't know if fairly well is a proper assessment. Okay. Um, let, let's uh, focus on, uh, first of all, Shas is not going back to where it was mm-hmm. um, years ago. And I have the feeling that what is called a good uh, gimel... Uh, the Ashkenazi Haredi Party. Ashkenazi Haredi Party is, is... They're leaving most of their voters at home. If all, the, all their voters mm-hmm. 
would have been. I'm not talking about those who, for religious reasons, don't vote. I'm talking in about opposition their, to the state. Right. I'm talking about their potential voters. Mm-hmm. A large portion simply stayed at home, and they weren't able to give them a reason to come out and vote. Has Lieberman given them a reason? Uh, or has this whole show, this fight between them and Lieberman, given them a reason? Right. There are those that are even more cynical than I mm-hmm. who believe it's that, simply that. It's that. That's what this is about. That these two sides are making, creating this together mm-hmm. um, to eat away at the Likud in the center. Mm-hmm. That the Haredim and Lieberman are essentially, even if not in official agreement, they know they're helping each other. Right. Right, right for sure. Right. These things don't need to be said out loud in politics. Right. And the uh, last time we saw, what, a total of 16 Haredi seats, correct? Right. Right, and you expect them. I, I think that's respectable. Uh, also, right. you mentioned last time we had this conversation that Derry was very, Derry the leader of Shah, sorry, Derry, was very um, successful in keeping many of his political rivals, like Eli Yishai and Amsalam, out of Knesset last right. time around. He doesn't have that concern this time around. Not at all. Not at all. On the other hand, um, he... he he had a Gewalt campaign last time. He had a campaign where he was telling people that he was at risk mm-hmm. of falling below the minimum threshold. Right. And he received twice the amount of the minimum threshold. Mm-hmm. So he can't play that game again. Um, he can't scream that he's not going to get in the Knesset um, because he's not going to have enough votes to get in. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much damage that will be um, he's also didn't, done a backtrack and trying to market himself again as a social party. They started off as a social party. They moved um, much more in the direction of like a Torani issues. Torani religious party. And now they realize they move, need to move back on the social issues. He, he has been rather successful in doing so. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, you mentioned the minimum threshold that he was scaring people that he couldn't uh, pass. Right. You know, this minimum threshold of 3.25% of the electorate. Right. How come no one's talking about lowering that? You know, we see that the big parties always talk about raising it. Because people think it's had a good effect. Really? That it's caused people to combine. It's caused all sorts of uh, fringe small parties not to run. And and that it's a healthier situation... If there are eight or nine parties in the Knesset instead of 16 or 17. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think those small fringe parties make our system more democratic uh, and also more Jewish. You know, part of our culture, people say two Jews, three opinions. It makes sense to me that the political system that expresses our identity should have a multiplicity of ideological parties. Um, it, but it became non-ideological mm-hmm. that, that when there is such a micro focus on a specific issue and a party only focuses on that issue um, it allows one side or the other to, to to buy them in a certain way I don't mean that in a corrupt manner necessarily um, and pull them over to a place where they weren't mm-hmm. to a non-ideological where, and to an ideology that they weren't part of mm-hmm. sometimes in, in a corrupt manner when Robin um, pulled over members of Knesset and from and, uh, from Summit yeah. um, to the left to support Oslo. But it could happen also in, an, in a non-corrupt manner. And and therefore, the feeling is that if there are more bit larger, stable parties, mm-hmm. um, that, that, that it would be more appropriate. Do you agree with that? 
I, I believe the, the minimum threshold is definitely not too small today. Whether it should be changed or made bigger, I don't know. You think it's not too low today? Right. You think it should go lower? No, no, no. I think it shouldn't go lower than it is today. You don't think it should go? You don't think people should be able to get in with two or three seats? No. Really? Yeah. I disagree with you. Okay. I think that there's a... I mean, look, in every not system... Not the first time. No. In, in every system, I think there's a uh, friction between democracy and efficiency. Right? I think the most efficient political leadership we could really have is probably some kind of autocratic monarch. Mm-hmm. That would be the most efficient form of government, but it wouldn't be very democratic. And the people wouldn't have a voice. I think the more you uh, empower small parties who represent ideological groups or subgroups in Israeli society, obviously those parties will need to come in and be forced to work together with other parties in order to accomplish anything. But I think that's part of Am Yisrael's culture. That's part of our identity, to have these really sharp differences and to have those differences represented in, in the system. I think right now there are a lot of people who don't feel represented and there are a lot of parties who would theoretically be able to get in with two or three seats that can't get in because the, the threshold is too high. So a lot of votes get thrown out, which means a lot of people don't feel represented. And uh, I'd much rather see those parties get in and be forced to work together. Like the party that I would feel closest to would probably be the fighters party, the Lachamim, which only existed in but, the first case. They had one seat. By moving up the threshold, though, mm-hmm. you, you cause that process to happen before they go to the elections. Right. And therefore, you know which compromise you're voting for. Okay? Sort of like this, the Yamina list. Mm-hmm. This was a combination of a few parties. Three. They, they all made compromises. Mm-hmm. But the voter who's going out to vote for them knows that he voted for this compromise. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's a fair point. In general, I see that there's a uh, a need for us to have deeper conversations over what kind of structures uh, represent us, like what kind of political system really is an expression of our identity, um, empowers people in a democratic manner. I mean, for me, democracy is very simple. It's really just empowering people to be able to influence the structures they live under. So I don't know if I consider this system fully democratic. I don't know if everybody feels empowered, and I know there have been times in our recent history when elected leaders have gone and done things in complete betrayal, really, of their own you know, promises to their voters and their own platforms and, uh, and been able to get away with it. Right. And, but in every system, if they do that mm-hmm. and, the, and the checks and balances fail, in other words, if the court that was supposed to protect people from these abuses doesn't protect, mm-hmm. or if the Knesset doesn't protect from the government, it's not because the system failed. It's because the individuals in these places failed. Well, I think this system is not matim for us. I'm not saying it's a bad system. I would argue it's a bad system for us. And you could look at other countries in the world that have similar problems. Like, for example, India. India also has like a British-style parliamentary system as a result of being occupied, colonized by the British. And so even when they have political independence, they still are stuck with structures that don't really represent them or fit their culture. I think that's the same here. You know, we fought the British Empire, we forced them to leave our land, we took down their flag, and we declared independence by putting our flag on their system. And but, but that's everywhere in the world. No, but that, well, the point is every every nation, Every country, every country is a, is a result. Mm-hmm. Um, in France, there's a resistance to having religious influence on, on government because of the abuse of the church. Once upon a time. Once upon a time. Mm-hmm. 
and and there in in America there's a Senate and a House of Representatives because of a compromise that was made 250 mm. years ago. So every in 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 Indonesia the influence. What did the Indonesians have to do? There's hundreds of different tribes speaking hundreds of different languages. They were simply occupied by the Dutch yeah. for a few hundred so. years together, and and so therefore every country's government and structure mm -hmm. is a result of their specific history. I don't see the structure as a problem. Yeah, I don't. There are ways to remedy these things. The post-colonial conversation, meaning the need for when you free your land, when your nation is free after a period of colonization, after a period of occupation, you have to engage in a post-colonial conversation. Nobody has time for that. No, we absolutely have to make time for that. All right, but Meaning nobody has time for that when it happens. Okay, we can make the argument that, you know, at the time, 1948, the conditions existed that made it hard for us to engage in these conversations. But now here we are over 70 years later with systems and structures that don't fully work. You know, we're still a nation finding itself. We're still a nation defining itself. And we have major challenges, not just with the Palestinians, even within our own society, that we haven't taken the time to really fully examine. Like, we were supposed to come back to our land and unpack our own civilization again. We had this, like, portable version of our civilization that we had with us in exile. The point was not to come back to our land and put it in the corner and call it the Rabbanut. The point was to actually figure out what our values have to say about a healthcare system in the 21st century. If uh, your dog damages my bicycle and we end up in court in Jerusalem, should the judge be ruling according to uh, British common law or should the judge be ruling according to Baba Kama? Now, there's nothing about ruling according to ba Baba Kama is simply our people's perception of what justice is if one person's property damages another person's property for th thousands of years. Like this is a development of what we believe is just in this situation, what our people believe is just according to our values, according to our worldview, according to our culture. Nothing to do with making people religious or not religious. It doesn't, there's no coercion involved. It's just a system of justice based on our culture and our value system. And that's something we have to return to. It's, it's great that we've liberated ourselves physically. It's great that you know, we have a political independence in our land, but we need to know what to do with it. And when we don't know what to do with it, we end up behaving like a vassal to foreign powers. And that's pretty much the situation Israel's found ourselves in. That now, you know, regardless of who wins this election, we know that they're going to have to deal with Donald Trump and whatever his agenda for our region is. Now, getting back to these elections, uh, one interesting figure who has recently dropped out of the race is Moshe Feiglin and the Zuhud party. Uh, what are your thoughts on the deal he made with Netanyahu? From his point of view, it was a great deal mm -hmm. for a few reasons. Even if Netanyahu isn't the prime minister, or even if Netanyahu is and he doesn't keep the deal. The deal was to give him a ministry, to give him a ministerial portfolio. Right, and to give certain concessions on economic and, uh, laws and marijuana laws. Mm -hmm. the, he was on his downhill Fagelin. Yeah, he wasn't going to get anywhere near what he got a, a few months ago. Mm -hmm. If he has to run again, he can sell to people what he received a few months ago. He can say, I, last time I ran, I almost got in. Mm -hmm. As opposed to doing much worse, and they say, all right, you're on your way out. On an economic level, he's broke. He could, had, had a non-functioning campaign because there was no money. This campaign. Right. 
and and therefore he, he it's a good way for him to get out mm-hmm. he gets a legitimacy he's on the stage here with the prime minister as equals the prime minister is giving him legitimacy um even if he doesn't become a minister eventually he made a great deal mm-hmm. says so the hoots out but ostensibly their ideas are in right right essentially they are and if you listen to the other political parties they've absorbed some of Zahut's ideas this happened in the United States on a number of occasions people don't recall things like social security mm-hmm. came from the communist party right. there, there are things that came from fringe parties suddenly they had a level of popularity and and they were absorbed what, what what are considered more mainstream parties mm-hmm. and the same thing happened with the Zohut. it's ta- it took a, it, it pushed a few ideas that um w- generated a lot of support and the other parties realized and suddenly you realize these other parties are taking on those ideas and uh, you were impressed with Fagan's last campaign correct with his campaign yeah not him as a person his campaign his campaign as a, as a political operative it was an excellent campaign he had good ideas he I don't re- like all his ideas but there was an educational right he rep- represented those ideas clearly they, they were much less vague and general than when they were in the past and like you said you can listen you can understand what he was saying mm-hmm. and then you can make a decision whether you supported it or not do you feel that his last campaign I got the sense that he was counting on the fact that his base trusted him. The base were the redemption-oriented base, the people who have been listening to him since Manigut Yudit and Zohar Tzenu. I think he took that base for granted. I think he kind of shifted his campaign over to bringing in more support and those who had been with him beforehand, instead of seeing him as just broadening his support base, they saw him as selling out the ideas, the values that they had supported him for to begin with. I'd agree. Yeah. I'd, ag- I'd agree that that was a... He, he didn't in- manage that well, and going up in the polls went to his head, and he, he, I agree with you. Th- there was space for him to be attacked from other nationalist parties. For sure. It was unclear where he stood on issues that he had been clear on in the past. Right, or that he would um, provide enough energy and effort... Mm-hmm to concentrate on them. What he was saying beforehand is that if in the Knesset, independently, he would concentrate on those issues. So where they might um, have expected him still to vote properly on those issues, there was clearly the impression that his energies would be in a different area. They thought he would be spending most of his time in Knesset on legalizing cannabis. Exactly. So the Yamina party this combination of National Union and Ayelet Shaked's Yemina Hadash and Bayit Yehudi. It works. It provides um, a legitimate right of Likud alternative for those who are concerned that the Likud is, t- is too centrist. Mm-hmm. Um, it provides relatively legitimate um, candidates, and it also provides a place of discussion that does not exist in the Likud today, it, such as your discussions, mm-hmm. the issues that you're facing, that you rise of the level of the Jewish influence on the, on the structure of the state. 
that is being debated and discussed and agreed and disagreed inside Yamina. Mm-hmm. It's not even an issue inside the Likud. Mm-hmm. Okay, the Rabbanut is something to be offered to a Haredi party by the Likud in, as part of a political deal for signing on to the budget. Right. They don't ha- there's no longer an, even an opinion mm-hmm. on these sort of issues. Would you say that uh, Naftali Bennett came to these elections much more humble? Yes. Than in the past. Do you think he learned a lesson? I don't know if it's an outward humbleness or an inward humbleness, um, but it clearly is acting more humble. Mm-hmm. And Ayala Chiquette is a much more attractive candidate to most people. Sure. She's, she was a successful justice minister. Um, she, she doesn't have that rough friction mm-hmm. that Bennett seemed to have with certain people. And you feel yeah. that's the party where conversations can't take place? The, no, they are taking place. They are taking place at this time. I don't know if the, how relevant those conversations will be. Do you expect them to break up once they're in Knesset, or do you expect them to stay together? They're talking about breaking up. I'm not sure they will. It really depends how many seats they get. If they get 12 seats or 13, they're definitely staying together because it means the, this combination was a success. Mm-hmm. If they get five or six... They're definitely breaking up because it means the, conversation, the, com, the combination was a failure. But uh, it was a good means of surviving politically. At this moment, for sure. Yeah. It was the right thing to do at this minute. And now what about uh, Otsma? You see Otsma getting in? It's very hard to see. They have a base, mm-hmm. and their base aren't necessarily Kanistim. Their base are people who support them who aren't, which means... Those thirty, forty thousand people that, if they look like they're getting, will get their vote, mm-hmm. but they're not hardcore Knesset. And yeah. if they don't look like they're getting in, they'll go somewhere else. Does that include Haredim? Do you think they have a lot of Haredi voters? A lot is a relative world. I, it's very hard to see. My suspicion is they have a lot of young Haredi voters. Right, meaning, meaning one hundred thirty, one hundred forty thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be a hard game, and it's going to be a hard game. To convince the public, the potential public, what is the potential public? That means every experienced voter that once voted for them. And as what happens with them, somebody votes for them and said, all right, I gave them the, my vote twice. Now I'm not doing it anymore because they didn't meet the minimum threshold. Right. But if you got all those people at the same time to vote for them, mm-hmm. they would be doing much better. Uh, they need to get their message out. And they, in addition, need to hold on to their entire base. It looks like a very, very difficult game for them. Okay, let's look at the other side of the map, the other side of the country. There's a new united party with uh, Meretz and Stav Shafir and Ehud Barak. What do you make of this combination? Why does Shafir bolt labor? Is she enough of a star to carry her own weight? Just the dynamic of what was happening at Mm. that minute, the fact that uh, Amir Peretz chose to go with Orly Levy. You have to remember, Orly Levy came into the Knesset with... Beitenu. Av- so with Avigdor Lieberman. The only reason she left Lieberman was she was promised a ministry and it was given to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Th- that means her credentials are not that strong on the left. In addition, if she was joining Peretz... It meant if they would get in, in theory, these were two ministries that were already gone. Two, that means a chance of a third ministry existing. 
of Shtav Shapir becoming a minister was gone. This combination wasn't going to generate enough um, mandates to have three. And she looked for a place where she could have room. Okay? Eyud Barak, while he was working on combining, was not looking for a ministry job. Okay? What do you think he's looking for? Wow. What is Ehud Barak looking for? Wow. First of all, personal. Personal. BB. Very, very anti-BB. And wanting to be a player. In other words, if his combination could, have, could in theory bring uh, some sort of majority that would turn Bibi into an opposition leader, that would make him a player. Okay? That's why he took number 10 on that list. He was saying if, he's, can't, if they can't get at least 10, that means they weren't successful. It has nothing to do with just sitting in the Knesset. It's an interesting block. People on the far left never trusted Barak. The fact that he was able to negotiate that with merits and bring Staff Shapir from a political level was a great success. There, the area of potential supporters still remains very limited. This merits-led uh, party is competing either against the labor-led party, labor by Amir Peretz, or blue and white. Mm-hmm. They're not competing against the Likud, not Lieberman. And what you have is you have people competing within their own camps. And within their own camps, they all know each other for decades, and they all have been battling each other for decades. They're like little kids on the ball field. They play a game, the game is over, and then they choose up new sides. Mm -hmm. The same players, but a few people change sides. So even on the right, I, I can provide you stories where all these players were in the game 25 years ago, there were battles, they were just, they were, they were on different sides at that time. Lieberman was with Netanyahu, okay? There wasn't Lieberman and Netanyahu on two different sides. Mm-hmm. But all these people, Kahlon and, and Rivlin, the president, they were, all in, they were all in the game then. They just, everybody was on different sides then. Well, we have a, sure, we have a lot of uh, politicians being recycled over and over and right, over Right, right. It's uniquely Israeli phenomena. You think so? Um, I, I mean, I'm more familiar with America and the British, where it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And here, it's amazing. It just, they keep, in other words, some people say, what is, why is Ayod Barak coming back? You know, he's been in the game, he failed, and these people keep on, Tzipi Livni tried to come back. Tzipi Livni tried to come back. I didn't catch that. Tzipi Livni. Yeah, no, no, I heard what you said. I didn't catch it happening. I didn't see oh, it. Oh, all right. She was trying to get in. Mm-hmm. She couldn't find the place. And you think, what are these people doing? They ran. It didn't work out. Move on. Mm-hmm. No, they're staying in the game. They have something to prove. And purpose. Yeah. Just to have something going on in their life. Could be. Yeah. That could be it. They've made a lot of money mm-hmm. from being in the public world. Uh, and, and now, right, it's something to do. So how do you expect these elections to go? You think the polls are accurate? You think we can trust these right, polls? Right, right. I think that it's, they're accurate into the sense that the, what's called the right without Lieberman will not hit 61. Mm-hmm. What's called the, the left without Lieberman will not hit 61. There could be a fluke. There could be some dive at the last minute and Amir Paris can go below the minimum threshold. It's possible... It's unlikely. Uh, I just somehow believe the labor base is is large enough. Still. Still. But maybe not next election. Right. But 
it's still to prevent them from going below the minimum threshold. Mm-hmm. And I just don't see anybody else going in under. The Meretz Barak um, coalition is not going under, and and all the parties on... on and the other option is Otzma Yisrael beating the minimum threshold. Otzma Yudi. Otzma Yud. Right. And that looks unlikely at this point. Right. I, don't, I don't think it's going to happen. And you don't I, think they'll drop out? I don't know. I don't know. If we're in the right deal, they'll, go, they'll leave. Now, how do you think Fagelin dropping out will impact the political map? I don't know if we've seen any polls yet. or we, we, By the time this airs, we would have seen some polls. Okay, Here, here's what. Say, say they're sitting there uh, a seat and a half, mm-hmm. which means a seat and a half that are not Otsma UD voters who would just stay home in anger, okay, if they're not running. People who are ready to go vote. Mm-hmm. A seat and a half or two that... Are gonna maybe there was a few votes on the left, but a seat and a half that's going to be now in the right. That seat and a half now will be divided between Likud, Likud and Yemen, and, 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 and it could add another two seats. Mm-hmm. And when Bibi's playing with fifty-seven seats, significant, and it, that's very significant. And if he can make some other move mm-hmm. that, at the last minute that can bump him up a, a seat, that becomes this is more of a larger play. Um, Obviously, he doesn't care for Fagelin, and Fagelin doesn't care for him, and they don't care for each other for for many years. This is political decisions that were made. It's a le- these are legitimate political decisions that were made on both sides um, for mutual political advantage. You mentioned before that this was the right move for Fagelin. Do you think it was the right move for Netanyahu? Um, I think yes. It didn't cost him anything. Right, that's the question. In other words... Are there voters who might have uh, five, ten years ago been offended by the Fagelin support and moved left? The answer is no. In other words, uh, is this a relevant issue to what we call those soft-right voters who are considering going to blue and white? No. I mean, Netanyahu in the last year has shown that he doesn't care about those, that anymore. There was a time, I think, where Netanyahu was very careful not to look like he was giving too much of a platform and too much support to radical voices in the national camp, I think he's past that. Right, for sure. But, and, and not only that, to those people it doesn't make a difference. Mm-hmm. The reason that leaving left Netanyahu isn't because he was too right. They're just sick of him. They're tired of him. Mm-hmm. So, so, and then they're culturally not ready to vote for Yamina. Mm-hmm. Okay, in other words, a Likudnik who started of Netanyahu can go to Yamina. Mm-hmm. Most of them. Right. But blue and white is still offering this kind of classic 1950s Israel. Right. Right, where you're with the kibbutznikim and the generals but, and Yair Lapid. But with time, the shine is going off. Right. Although it, they're polling well. Right. But, but it's looking, it's becoming very, very clear. They're, they're simply not some centrist or left-wing, you know, or right-wing alternative. That It's a clearly leftist agenda. Leftist agenda in what sense? A land of they Israel. Wanna, land of Israel. Oh, you're, okay, so you're saying that... Israel, Israel leftist. Uh-huh, so, all right. It's funny, you know, when we talk about the Israeli left, I think it's like two different groups. There's the westernized ruling class, which I think is what you mean in this case. They're just westernized Israeli important people who believe that they're entitled to run the country. And then there's like the real left, which I'd say is only found today in the Palestinian parties. Yeah, I, obviously I'm not referring to leftist, leftist. Right. Those who see themselves as should be running the country, but just can't convince people to vote for them. Right, for something their grandfather might have done. I plan to be back in the country before Election Day. I plan to cast a vote. I'm not yet sure who I'm casting the vote for, 
but you know my issues are, are pretty clear I'd like to ultimately see a party come and and say the entire land is one unit and this should be a deeply Jewish state that expresses our identity in its policies and in its institutions and has found a dignified role for the other in our society that works for all the Palestinians and can find a way to not just stay trapped in the paradigm of like Western structures that don't fit our identity, don't fit Palestinian identities, and don't fit our unique situations here. Uh, so I simply see the, these potential difficulties mm-hmm. as taking over um, priority over these deep ideological discussions. The answer is the deep ideological discussions. That's the problem. We ignore the deep ideological discussions because we're focused on the short-term needs. Right, right. And, and these are what the elections will be about and what the future is about and the and decisions in the upcoming years are about. Anyway, Mordechai Tab, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure, Yudah. This is Yudah Kohen, Brit Chazon Vision Magazine. You can check the show notes at visionmag.org backslash thenextstage9. Don't forget to give us a five-star rating. It helps. And we hope to catch you next time.